Good morning, friends. Welcome to Myers Park United Methodist Church. My name is Uyan. I'm one of the pastors here. Oh, we're so grateful to be gathered here in this place to worship and praise our God together. Whether it be here in person or joining us online, we invite you to let us know of who you are so that we may be in touch with you to let you know of how uh, grateful you are that you are here with us, especially if you're kind of relatively new or if you're a first-time visitor. There's a hospitality pad at the end of your pews. There's a QR code at the back of your bulletin. And online, there's a hospitality link that you can click on. You can give us your name and your contact information so that we may share the ministries of our church with you, wherever you may be. Grateful that we can be together. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Jessica. What else is going on today? Good morning. Well, we have lots going on in the life of the church. As you know, we just began Lent. There's Lent small groups. If you want to sneak in one, we can definitely fit you in. Friends, also, there is midweek music this Sunday. This Sunday. <laughs> Today's Sunday, this Wednesday <laughs> at noon, right here in the sanctuary, and it's going to have a special St. Patrick's Day feel, so you definitely want to check that out on Wednesday. Friends, it is good to be together in the house of the Lord. Let us continue on in worship.
please let us lift our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Family of God, it is a good and right thing when we can come together to confess our sins before God and one another. Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, our light of the world. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is John chapter three, beginning with the first verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes, whether it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear witness, bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved this world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Today we're introduced to Nicodemus. It's always helpful to ask ourselves whenever we read the stories in the Bible, uh, who are we talking about? Where can I find myself and those whom I know in the, the wider narrative of this particular story? And here's Nicodemus. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. John is the only place where we encounter Nicodemus. We don't know much about him other than that he's a Pharisee, ruler of his people. Um, he's a Pharisee without being an antagonist. He is interested, fascinated by Jesus. At the very least, he knows Jesus as a teacher from God, possibly more. He walks away from this encounter in chapter 3, somewhat uh, confused, but this is not the end. Nicodemus is persistent. He comes back to Jesus again uh, in chapter 7, and we see him for the last time in chapter 19. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, both in chapter 3 and 7, as if to say that he's not quite ready to be shown in the light interacting with Christ because of his place in this world as a Pharisee. He wishes not to risk his status. We see in chapter 7 how Nicodemus intercedes for Jesus uh, during the conflict that he had with religious leaders. While he intercedes, he's not really fully interceding either. There's a lukewarmness about how he does about all this. 
And then lastly, in chapter 19, when we read of Nicodemus, this is post-crucifixion. He comes alongside Joseph of Arimathea, and he brings about the burial spices, very costly ointments uh, to prepare the burial of Christ. And we're left to wonder, did he finally see the light? Did Nicodemus fully commit in following Jesus? We have no answers to these questions. We don't know what came of his doubts, what came of his hesitations, and somewhat his frustrations. What we do know is how Jesus treats Nicodemus from the very beginning. And his interaction with Nicodemus then informs how we as the people of God should interact with Nicodemuses of the world. Those who are seeking, those who are not yet fully committed, those who have doubts, those who are weighing the cost, those who can be quite frustrating at times. All right? We kind of want to say, get it together, commit already. But Jesus always makes room and space for people like Nicodemus, and so should we as the people of God, uh, to be patient, to be generous, to be grace-filled with the Nicodemuses in our midst. In first grade, back in, when I was in first grade in the mid-'80s, after church, a couple of my friends and I being filled with the Holy Spirit would do kind of door-to-door evangelism. And we would split up because then we could cover more homes that way. And surrounding the church, we would have homes and apartment buildings and not the nice kinds either. I mean, these are apartment buildings with hundreds of residents in one kind of setting. I knock on the door, uh, and if anybody should open the door and answer, I would then uh, share, share the gospel as I thought was appropriate. And it was a, a three-step process, very classic methodology. I'm not recommending that you follow this by any means. I'm just giving witness to what I used to do. So the first step is the proverbial classic, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to be? Do you know if you're going to be in heaven or hell? Right. And then there's a couple of fillers. And then the second step, because I'm concerned for this said person's salvation, I would say, I invite you to church. I know the pastor there. He's really wonderful. That was my father, by the way, who was the pastor of the church. <laughs> and then inevitably at the end, I would conclude with John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes the door would be shut in my face. Sometimes the conversation would continue there. We'd go back and forth. I don't know what I said. And other times, they would be so gracious to invite me into their home and, I don't know, offer me milk or, or tea or something, which is just absurd to think about now. First grader going to stranger's home, and I get invited in, and I would go in. What were my parents thinking? <laughs> but these were the mid-80s, mid right? Different times. So, John 3.16. On January the 8th, 2012, the game happened. Not a game, but the game. It was the AFC wildcard playoff game between the Steelers and the Broncos. The starting quarterback for Denver was none other than Tim Tebow. A couple of years prior, Tim Tebow played in the national championship game from Florida. 
and he had written John 3.16 underneath his eyes. Uh, for the about 24, 48-hour period, John 3.16 was the most Googled topic online. And here he was, a couple of years later, playing the playoff game against the Mighty Steelers. It went to overtime, tied at 23-23. Broncos won the coin toss, first play in the playoff, or first play of the, the, the overtime, Demiris Thomas ran a slant, and Tim Tebow threw a pass. First play for a touchdown, game over. Uh, Tim Tebow passed for 316 yards that game, and he averaged 31.6 yards per completion. Times Magazine dubbed that game the 316 game. Uh, Billy Graham uh, had always said that John 316 was his favorite verse. He called it the gospel in miniature. If the 23rd Psalm is the most famous chapter in the Bible, then surely John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. To this day, like many of you, I hold these words from John 3.16 near to my heart. I hold it so tightly. I so deeply desire to live fully into the good news and the mysteries of John 3.16. I really do. And I know you do as well. But there's a part of me, there's a, a part of me deep down where I wish Jesus never said these words. Why? Uh, because these very words have been so misused by so many uh, to bring about so much pain, oppression, so much exclusion, so much injustice. Uh, these words have been used to condemn all other faiths and their followers. Uh, these, use, these, these words have been misused to endorse violent triumphalism. Uh, these words have been misused to sharpen swords. And I don't need to look at church history to know these things. I, too, have lived it myself with genuine, real desire to be faithful disciples. I have condemned many others, both inwardly and outwardly, oftentimes quoting John 3.16 throughout my life. I no longer do that. So what has changed? Well, much has changed in my faith journey. Here's one of the things that happened. It became a pattern that I noticed that the very people that I intentionally or even unconsciously condemned often became the very source of God's blessing in my life. How annoying. You know? I think back at Mrs. Kim uh, I talked about Mrs. Kim. I know you remember this. I talked about Mrs. Kim back in July of 2018. You remember that sermon? <laughs> that was my first sermon at our church. Uh, she was the, the person that taught me the English language. She was my English tutor from 1993 to 95. She was a pretty devout atheist. But it was through her that I learned the very language that I used to proclaim the gospel, even to this day, right here and now. 
I remember Mr. Burr, my 10th grade Western European history teacher. I think the closest thing to religion he ever got was Star Wars. <laughs> and he's the one who taught me the joy and the passion for learning. Uh, that I should strive to enrich myself, not for grades' sake, uh, but for personal journey, to be enlightened, to be a better human being. I remember my college uh, uh, economics uh, study partner, I majored on econ, and let's just call him Jake. That's not his real name. He was an international student from India, Hindu, although he was not in any way practicing Hindu. Uh, we studied often together, and I felt compelled to say it's, I don't know how this topic came up, but it came up, and keep in mind, he was the smarter one of the two. <laughs> Jake was that, uh, he's the one that went to uh, go on to go to Harvard MBA and have done, Harvard MBA and has done wonderful things. So it took some courage for me to say this to Jake. I said, uh, Jake, you know, you're probably going to go to hell when you die, buddy. Yeah. And Jake's response was so beautiful and mature. We were 19, 20 at the time. He said, well, Uyan, maybe we can be friends for now. Maybe we can be friends for now. So much of New Testament, the theme of New Testament, including the gospel lessons, are God surprising God's people in unexpected ways, in unexpected ways to open our eyes, this theme of seeing is also a reoccurring theme in the New Testament. Are we surprised? Are we surprised? There's very few things in life that is more disturbing and disruptive than people whom you have dismissed as the other being God's source of transformation. Uh, there are very few things in life more oftentimes um, painful uh, than the very ones whom you deem to be your enemy becoming the source of God's love in your life. I've learned through the years uh, a very obvious lesson that God's love is wholly unqualified. That God's love is so very unqualified. Uh, so as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, as we fully live into the mystery and the good news of verses like John chapter 3, 16, I think it's good to be aware of, of this simple truth that there's a cost to loving Jesus. And there's a cost of being loved by Jesus. Uh, and, and, and not cost in a transactional kind of way, but there's a cost in transformative kind of way, like being born again. And it can be painful because there are consequences of loving God and being loved by God. One of the consequences that I learned throughout my life, loving God and being loved by God, is when we are loved by God, we must come to a recognition and realization that God loves not just you and me, but God loves the world. 
that God loves the world. Second consequence is, can we then trust Jesus who loves God's world so much with all that is me, you, and us, with all of our hopes and dreams, with all of our pain and doubts, with all of our frustrations and anger, can we trust God to be on this journey with Jesus toward wholeness? Are we humble enough to invite this God to join us in this journey, to hold faith in the unconditional love of God? And then the third consequence is, is compassion. My mentor once told me many years ago that people become like the God that they believe in. So who is this God revealed through Jesus? It is a God of deep compassion. It is a God who has deep compassion for all the people in God's world. And so our compassion for all the people in God's world should never be an exception but the rule. I've shared this many a times before in different settings. When I went off to college back in 1999, I took uh, some frame that my mom gave me of biblical Bible passages. One of them was from Joshua chapter 1, be bold and be strong, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I had that on my desk, looked at it every day. The other one was from Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua proclaimed, Choose this day whom you shall worship, but as for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. Uh, I still have those frames. I live by it every day. Right. Long before my children ever become a Duke fan or whatever fan they're going to be, they're going to learn to worship the Lord. Yeah. But let's always then keep in mind how Jesus treated people like Nicodemus, uh, people who disagreed with him, the very people who persecuted him with all the other religions and its people, cultures and nations, may we always remember how Jesus commands us to dwell and to be and to love those who are different from us. I, uh, I wish I could go back and talk to people like Jake, and there are many Jakes that I've encountered throughout my life. I mean, surely I'll apologize but I love to simply just say, hey, I'm so grateful for our friendship. I'm so grateful that you've been part of my life, that you've been an instrument of God's love and blessings in my life. When you look at John 3:16, God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, we see that particular declaration being sandwiched between two other proclamations before and after. What's the one that precedes it? God so loved the world. And what follows it? God sent his son so that the world would not be condemned. Right? And it is only in these two 
proclamations that we find a declaration of our good news. So the question that I have in my life and perhaps the question that we should ask ourselves, we would do well to ask this, how can we then live into the mystery and the good news of Jesus' love for us in such a a way that those who witness to our love will know that God's love for the entire world and not condemnation, but love for the world. Karl Barth writes these words. Christian is one who, in the light of Jesus Christ, is permitted to hope for the best for all people, even Judas, who betrayed Jesus. This is not a claim to knowledge of the ultimate future or of the mind of God, but an act of trust and hope in the God who loves the world through giving his son to be crucified. May we possess such hope and trust in the God who loves the entire world and the people in it. And may that love for the world be made real in us and through us and through the church. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. O God of every nation, of every land and people, before all that is, you were God. Outside all we know, you are God. After all is finished, you will be God. Your name is proclaimed throughout the universe. Your majesty is beyond our grasp. We are your creation, small, finite, limited, hindered and held down by our own failings. Yet you call us to yourself. You pursue us in love. Lord, in your mercy, On this day, we lift up our country and our world. Divided as we are by fear, anger, accusations, and even desire for revenge. We are assailed from without and within from contention that seeks to tear us apart. Holy God, we lift your church into the light of your presence. We pray especially for the part of your church called United Methodist. In our spiritual failing, we forget that we are called to be one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Create clean hearts within us. Renew our spirits that we might be your messengers in a hurting world. May others look at us and see you, Lord, in your mercy. We pray for all those who suffer, whether from the forces of nature or from mistreatment by other human beings. 
In asking that you relieve their suffering, we present ourselves to be used by you in bringing reconciliation and peace. This morning, we pray for the families of Charles Walker, Mary Jane McKnight, and Jerry Richardson in their time of grief. Grant them your peace and assurance of your presence. And we lay before you now all of our fears, our dreams, our dreads, our hopes. Lord, in your mercy, still our own turbulent spirits by your own spirit, calm the fears that are driving the discords, cause us to once again be unified in your love, cure our sin and brokenness, Transform our hearts by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is your will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We give you thanks and praise for the gifts of new life and renewed love, for your mercy which is beyond all understanding, certainly beyond anything we could do for ourselves. What the Father created, the Son reclaims and reconciles. The Spirit refreshes and sustains. May we daily be born anew into the eternal presence of your goodness, your love, your grace. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name and through your Spirit, saying the prayer that he taught us to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Friends, we are grateful for the ways in which you support the ministries of this church so that we can transform lives for generations to come. We are blessed here with a wonderful children's ministry and youth program that have activities that fill the afternoons, that fill this place with laughter and deep ponderings, and it's by your ties, your offerings, that we are able to do this ministry. Thank you. Let us give with joyful and generous hearts.
Lord God, we offer our gifts in thanksgiving for all the goodness you provide. Bless these gifts and our lives so that we become a source of goodness for others. In the name of Christ, our strength and our hope. Amen. God's love for the entire world be made real through our Christian discipleship, friends. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.